Amen. But I've said many times, if that didn't bless, her, bless you, your blesser is broken. <laughs> Acts chapter 6 tonight, as we continue our series through the book of Acts. To the uttermost parts of the earth. When we come to Acts chapter 6, we are reminded of this truth, and it's a truth that is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when the church first started. That as soon as the church was born, it had to fight for its life every single day. Whether it was things that they had to deal with within the church or things that they're dealing with externally coming from outside the church, every day the church had to deal with stuff and had to fight the good fight of faith. That's something you and I need to remember. We can never put church and being part of church and being a part of God's church on cruise control. We will lose ground quickly. The early church was always facing something, having to deal with something. That's the way it is. Now again, throughout the book of Acts, we're seeing our invincible Lord Jesus marching through the pages of history, building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be stuff to deal with. So in Acts chapter 6, in the first seven verses, Satan sort of changes his strategy. We know at the end of last week that they had beaten the apostles and sent them home, ordering them never to teach again in the name of Jesus. The religious leaders of Israel felt threatened. And so there was this great persecution from outside the church that was pressing in on them. But now, as Satan does many times as well, he tries to divide the church and divide and conquer the church from within. That's something you and I always have to be aware of. He will always work to bring external pressure and persecution from outside, but at the same time, he will always be working to try to undermine what's going on for God from within, from within, dividing and conquering God's people from within. So let's look at it tonight. First of all, though, I want you to note in chapter 6, verse 1, that in those days the disciples were growing in number. Not just people being saved, but the church had become obedient to the command of Jesus. Go into all the world and not get people saved. Make disciples. Disciples are devoted followers of Jesus Christ. There's a difference, as we've talked about, between a Christian and a disciple. Not all Christians are disciples, but all disciples have to start with being a Christian. It wasn't just people were being saved, 
disciples were growing. And when that happened, notice, a complaint, a grumbling, a murmuring arose on the part of the Greek-speaking Jews against the native Hebraic Jews. Now notice that. Both parties were Christians. They were Jews who had accepted Christ as their Savior. But now Satan was using a cultural difference, if you will, the diversity within the body to try to divide it. These Hellenists, as they are known, these Greek-speaking Jews, did not speak Aramaic or Hebrew because they didn't grow up in that way. They grew up outside of Palestine. They grew up speaking Greek. That's all they knew. Obviously, those within the borders of, of Palestine and Jerusalem, all that, they grew up speaking Hebrew or Aramaic. So there were some differences there. And they had to learn to get along and to stay unified in spite of their diversity, just like we do today. And the Greek-speaking Jews thought that there was a discrimination taking place. There was a need at this point to take care of widows in Jerusalem, and there were many widows in Jerusalem. Not going to take the time to go into all that, but there were many, many widows in Jerusalem. And that's a huge need. And the church is called to be there to help in those instances, especially when there's no family to take care of them. Paul talks about that to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. But the Greek-speaking Jewish Christians thought that, whether it was legitimate or not, that their widows from their group was being neglected, that they weren't getting the same treatment as the Hebrew-speaking widows were getting. And so they were being overlooked, as it says in verse 1. So how did they solve this? I want us to see tonight that here's a situation that came up in the church that could have derailed the church and divided it. But because of the way they handled it and the fact that they handled it right away, they didn't let it simmer too long, knowing that there were some upset people and that they did the right thing and hit it head on, the church actually prospered. They turned this situation around, and instead of Satan being able to get a foothold and divide the church, they were able to come together and solve it. In fact, you see that in verse 7. When it says in verse 1, the disciples were growing in number, now it says the word of God, in a sense, was continuing to spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly and a large group of priests even became obedient to the faith. It backfired. And, and that's what Jesus wants his people to see. 
we will have challenges. We will have things that come up that we need to deal with. But if we handle them in the way he has taught us to handle them, it can actually cause us to thrive and even become greater and stronger in so many ways. Growth, numerical growth, which is what we see in verse 1, they were growing in number, is going to cause greater need. That's what's happening here at the Oasis. It's great that we're growing and that so many people are coming and so many new people are coming. But as our elders even say to all of us, we need more people to step up and serve, and that's true. We may not need somebody to actually lead a ministry right now. We maybe don't have a, a vacancy in any leadership as far as over a ministry, but we sure do have a lot of need underneath the leaders. Our bench is thin. When you get past the leader of ministries and then maybe a few faithful helpers, you don't have a lot after that. And we as a church need to step up and we need to start filling in these these cracks, if you will, in our foundation. Because if we want God to continue to bless us with numerical growth, all of us need to step up and do our part. That's what you see happening here. It's great that growth happens, but growth creates need. And therefore, need means people need to step up more and more. And it can't, as we're going to see, it can't be the same people doing more and more and more. That's not how God designed it. In fact, notice in verse 2, the 12 called the whole group of the disciples together and said, it is not right or fitting for us to neglect the word of God to wait on tables. They're not minimizing the need. They're not saying that the widows should not be attended to. They're saying, but God has called us to this ministry. And if we divert our energy and our time and all of that over here, then we're not going to be doing our ministry well. The old saying, jack of all trades, master of none. We need other people to step up and do their part instead of a few doing everything. In fact, I think the word neglect in verse 2 is powerful. It literally means to forsake or abandon. They felt like they were going to be abandoning the post that God called them to if they were to go over here and help the widows. So, verse 3, what's the solution? Carefully select. That's important, church. That means consider and then choose. Don't just ask for volunteers. Don't just ask for anybody to step. No, no. Leaders, if you want to fill positions, you should be praying over it and carefully choosing who the Spirit of God leads you to invite and ask. Because 
It doesn't matter what ministry you're talking about in the church. There is no insignificant ministry where just we'll just get anybody a warm body to oversee it or do it. That doesn't exist in God's church because everything associated with God's church is important because it's God's. Because many Christians today would go, well, anybody can wait on tables and minister to some widows and take care of them. Not, not their mentality. We need to make sure that we look for amongst us spiritual, mature people. You need a spiritually mature person to wait on widows? Yeah, because every ministry is important and significant to God no matter what it is in the church. And if you have anybody in any ministry that is not spiritually mature, that ministry and the entire church then will suffer because of it. You have weak links at any point, that's where Satan is going to work, and that's where your problems are always going to exist, and that's where even as a leader, you're always going to go back and have to keep putting your time and energy into sort of shoring things up because you don't have the faithful, spiritually mature people in every department around you. So notice... The quality of the people. Carefully select from among you, brothers, seven men who are well attested. First of all, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but here's something else they did that was very wise. It was the Greek-speaking widows from the Greek-speaking sort of Christian community that they felt were being neglected. So guess who they chose to take care of them? All the names in verse 5, they're all Greek. That shows the wisdom. If, if, if you feel that way, then you all take care of your own because you'll be attentive to it. And there won't be a language issue or anything like that. I want to go back to the word well-attested. And, and keep off the word well and even the word or the two letters A-T and look at the rest of it, tested. That's really what it means. And that's why the Bible tells us all the time, don't choose those who you don't know yet have been tested. They have to be part of your ministry long enough to where you have some time to be able to observe them. If you bring somebody into a ministry and you put them in charge of something and you don't really know them, then they have not been tested. You don't know how they're going to handle things or the way they handle it. That's why you got it. And I realize, here's sort of the rub. you got urgent needs, you got to fill things, and yet... You can't just do it quickly because you've got to make sure that the people that you're choosing to surround you have been tested. By the way, that word's going to come back into play on Sunday's message with David. 
when he puts Saul's armor on and he has to take it off because he says, I haven't tested these. I haven't tested them. Got to be tested, you see. You got to know a little bit about the people that you're carefully selecting to fill these positions. Then notice, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. In other words, these are people that the presence and power of the Spirit are continually evident in their life, and they possess a God know-how. You've seen it. It's been evident because they've been a part of your church and your church family, and you've watched them, and you've observed them, and you've listened to them, and you know how they carry themselves, and therefore, they're the ones you're going to choose whom we may put in charge of this, notice, necessary task. It's a need. Ah, but then notice verse 4. More wisdom. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Narrowing the focus of our lives as Christians. It is so important. I harp on this all the time, and I'm sorry I do, but I still feel like I've got to say it over and over again. We get spread so thin doing so many things that we can't do them well. Notice the wisdom of the 12. Because here's what happens in churches. Well, there's a need, and God made me aware of a need. That must mean he wants me to meet the need. No. Let it go. Because if you jump into meeting that need, first of all, then you're spreading yourself too thin and you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit time to move in somebody else for them to step up and take care of it. Let it go. Notice these 12 were like, we, if you want us to teach you, then we have to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And I want to say at this point, thank you for the last almost 14 years because you all here, you have allowed me to do that by stepping up and by taking the leadership and doing so many other things so that your pastor can spend the majority of my time devoting myself to the same thing they did, to prayer and the ministry of the word, so that I can have the ministry on Wednesdays and Sundays that I do. If I had to do all these other things that you all do, then I would not have the type of ministry that I do. But then that means that other people have to step up and fill all these other holes that are needs within the local church. And it also means that all of us who are serving, we got to find what is it that God wants me to devote myself to? Because I can't be devoted to more than just one or two things. So what is it that God wants me to drill down on and be really proficient in to bless the body and to benefit and profit the body? That's what you and I all need to figure out. 
And can you imagine a local church where everybody is devoting themselves to the part that God wants them to play? What a dynamic ministry that would be. And that's what I'm striving for all of us to find out here at the Oasis. I'm not giving up on that yet. I want to get as close as we can to that ideal. The proposal, verse 5, pleased the entire group. So they chose Stephen. And we're introduced to this young man, Stephen. In fact, we're going to be spending a lot of time with Stephen from here on out over the next couple of weeks. I got to tell you, Stephen is one of those Bible characters that I greatly admire. In fact, most of you know that my wife and I so admired Stephen that we named our firstborn after him. Stephen is an illustration of one who didn't live a long life, but the way he lived his life still makes an impact. It is a reminder to us it's not how many years we live, it's what we do with the years we have. And notice about Stephen, verse 5, a man full of faith, conviction, and confidence concerning God and the things of God, and again, full of the Holy Spirit. By the way, when the Bible te- talks about being full of the Holy Spirit, and Nicole's pointed this out many times as well, it's not like we only get a part of the Holy Spirit. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we get all the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Spirit is not that we get more of the Holy Spirit. It's that the Holy Spirit gets more of us. So that we're emptied so that he can fill us, influence us, control us, guide us, be the primary driver of our life. You have the whole Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. But does the Holy Spirit have all of you? The others are named there. Verse 6, these stood before the apostles who prayed and placed their hands on them, literally commissioned them to the ministry of taking care of the Greek-speaking widows. And notice what happened. The word of God continued to spread. Again, there was the potential of division and derailment within the body of Christ. That will always be the case. Every week that goes by, there is something that takes place at the Oasis that that could disrupt and divide us. We have to be spiritual people who handle these things when they come up in a Christ-honoring, spiritual, biblical manner, or else we're going to get divided and derailed real quick because the potential is always there. We're human. But when we do handle things correctly, oh my, God can take that and jettison jettison us ahead to where we're even stronger and, and seeing more impact and seeing more people saved and more people become disciples when things are handled right. So there was a threat from within. But then we see in the rest of the chapter tonight there was also still the threats, the pressure, the persecution from without. Once again, notice verse 8. Now Stephen, here again, full of grace 
and power. Do you notice three times in this passage of Scripture, in verse 3, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Verse 5, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now verse 8, full of grace and of power. Grace. Think of a man who's gracious, who's a grace giver. This also speaks about a sweetness, a winsomeness, a charm, charming person. Stephen was all of those and more. But he was also full of power, supernatural strength and ability. Notice in verse 8, to perform great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Full of all these wonderful things. Because he was being filled with all the fullness of God. And he was walking in the wisdom and power and grace of God every single day through being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ah, but look at verse 9. Some men from the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, as well as some from Cilicia and from the province of Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. They didn't like the things that Stephen was teaching from the Word of God. They didn't like his interpretations. Yet notice in verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Oh, I love that. They could not hold their ground against Stephen because literally the Holy Spirit was energizing, empowering him, and enabling him, giving him divine spiritual insight and illumination and inspiration that came through him being full of all these things. And obviously, he becomes sort of the, the main person out of this group. God wants you and I to be able to walk in that same confidence, that when you and I are full of God, we can be also then full of wisdom. And he will give us when we need it that divine insight, illumination, and inspiration to be able to speak if we need to and speak up if we need to so that the enemies of God and of his church can't hold their ground. They cannot withstand the spirit who lives within us, because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Now notice, they decide to start a smear campaign against Stephen, verse 11. They secretly then instigate some men to say, we've heard this man speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And we're going to talk all about that next week. That was the charges against Stephen. You are speaking against the temple of God in Jerusalem, and you are speaking against the law of Moses. Those are the charges against Stephen. And we'll talk about his defense of those charges in chapter 7 next week. Notice they also stirred up the people, the elders, the experts, and they approached Stephen, seized him, and brought him before the council. They even brought forward false witnesses who said, this man does not stop saying things against the holy place and the law. 
The enemy doesn't play fair, folks. The enemy will lie if they have to. Satan has been a liar, the Bible tells us from the beginning, and is the father of lies. And those who do his bidding have no trouble lying and speaking falsehoods about Christians and all of that. That's part of the persecution that Jesus said, expect it. Why are you getting all bent out about it? Because, verse 14, we have heard him saying that Jesus the Nazarene will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Here's the deal. The same charges and the same criticism that they are leveling against Stephen was leveled against Jesus. They accused Jesus of doing the same thing, which then is a reminder. If you and I are going to follow Jesus in this world, Jesus said, do not marvel that the world hates you because it hated me before it hated you. And there's nothing that you and I are going to be criticized for and charged against that Jesus wasn't. And we're not Jesus by a long shot, but Jesus was perfect, and look what they did to him. Again, that's why Paul says to the Philippians, it has not only been granted to us to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1, verse 29. That's part of God's plan. And that's what the church is realizing. As soon as the church was born, as soon as Jesus birthed his church, they had to fight for their life every single day of their existence. And we're still fighting for our life every single day. And that's why Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight. If we're going to, as a church, become all that God created us to be and desires us to be, we got to be willing to fight for it. Because there's going to be battles within and battles from the outside that we've got to deal with, just as the early church did. And we've got to have men and women who have the courage and the convictions and the confidence like Stephen had to stand before those that were attacking him. Next week in chapter 7, Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church in history. This young man laid down his life because he loved Jesus that much. Hope you'll come back next week. It's a powerful chapter. But I want to end with this. Verse 15. All who were sitting in the council stared straight at Stephen. Can you imagine what they, the, the intimidation that they were trying to create? Here was like probably 50 or 60 religious leaders and all their religious garb and all their religiosity and all of that. And here's this young man, Stephen, right in the middle of all of them. And they are staring him down. If looks could kill, right? And yet notice, when they stared straight at Stephen, they saw his face. And his face was like the face of an angel. 
It's the same language that is used to describe one other person in the Bible, Moses. When he came down from being with God, his face just was radiant. It, it was like even the countenance was changed by being so close to God. That was Stephen. You could see the very presence and power of God upon his face. Even those who hated him could see that there, there was something about that young man. And I love the fact that the Bible says that he had the face of an angel because angels are primarily two things. They're on a mission from God and they carry a message from God. That's what angels do. And that was Stephen in his own way. He was on a mission from God and he was carrying a message from God to all the religious leaders of Israel. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all walked so closely with our God that people could see the difference that God is making in our life even on our face? even in the way we carry ourselves. That we are carrying ourselves through the day full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, full of power and grace, full of faith. And the fullness of God is just sort of oozing out of our pores. And it's so evident. That was Stephen. Yeah, one of the seven guys that was picked to wait on tables. It is a reminder. There are no little people in God's kingdom. I don't know how you view yourself, but if you view yourself in any way less than, that's not the way God views you. And hopefully that's not the way your brothers and sisters in Christ view you. Because if they do or we do, that's wrong. In fact, Paul even says to the Corinthians when he's talking about the body and how the body is made up of all kinds of different parts. And Paul goes into that by illustrating the different parts of the spiritual body by using the physical body. He even says, he makes this amazing point. He says, even the most uncomely parts are actually the most necessary. The ones that we don't think matter, matter. Because everyone matters to God. And every ministry in his church that reflects him and represents him matters to God. There are no small ministries. Changing a light bulb in God's house is huge. You know why? It's God's house. And that's God's light bulbs. That's the kind of mentality that God wants us to see. It's all important, and therefore, whatever I do, it's significant because it's for God, and it's God's people. And no matter what I do, if it's for God, 
I need to give it everything I've got. I need to find out what part God wants me to play and I got to devote myself to it. And when you hear that there's another need in the church over here, fine. Let's pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth labors into his harvest. But don't go over there and try to meet that need and divert your attention and your energy and your time from what God has called you to be devoted to. You stay devoted to what God's called you to be devoted to. And if we have to let something go, we'll let it go. Because I want you to hear me say, church, I would rather reduce the size of our ministries that we're offering if we're overextending ourselves until others step up. I have no problem with that. That's not being defeatist. That's just being wise. Do a few things. That, that's always been my mantra since we started. Let's do a few things and do them well. And that should be what every one of our ministries seeks to do. Let's just do a few things and let's do them well for the glory of God. Because if we're not operating that way, then there's more of a chance for cracks in the foundation to begin to be seen, either through pressure or problems coming from within or pressure and persecution exerted from without. Let's pray. Lord, we pray tonight that all of us have a desire, God, to be filled with all your fullness. God, we can't receive more of the Holy Spirit than what we already have. But he certainly can have more of us. Lord, may we yield all ourselves to you as we sung about tonight, may Jesus be the center of our lives. May you take our life, Lord, as an offering, all that we are, and we surrender it to you. And, and yet, Lord, also, everything that we do, it's got to be like our last worship song, it's got to be by your spirit. It can't be by our power, by our might, but only by my spirit, says the Lord. When we allow God, your spirit, to fill us, we are unstoppable. No weapon formed against us can prosper. No one can withstand the Spirit of God who lives within us. That was true of Stephen, and that will be true of us as well. So may we leave here, God, tonight in your fullness, full of your Spirit, full of your wisdom, full of faith, full of power, and full of grace. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.